Hey, this is for all of our property manager friends of the podcast. Are you looking to add more properties this year? If so, you got to check out Venturi. These guys are at the forefront of what they do. You should see them at conferences, pack presentations, their booths are slammed, and Brooke, their founder, is a huge fan and supporter of the pod. Venturi has built the first and only software and services platform designed specifically to help property managers recruit homeowners and add new inventory to their rental programs. John, these guys are awesome. They can help you pull lists of vacation rental homeowners in your area and then even market to them across multiple channels from landing pages to chatbots and so many more booking tools. Venturi is here to help you collect leads. Their state-of-the-art CRM with marketing automation can help you easily track those leads and efficiently communicate with them across your entire team. The system can even automatically follow up with your leads instantly. Knowing that your leads are getting contacted right away is an awesome feature. The best part is if you sign up now, you can get a free homeowner marketing list and a free owner landing page. On top of that is 60 day money back guarantee. Venturi makes it completely risk-free to try it out. They will even send you a $50 Amazon gift card just for taking a demo. To learn more, go to Venturi.com forward slash no BS. That's V-I-N-T-O-R-Y.com forward slash no BS. Or just mention that you heard about them on the No BS short-term rental podcast. Welcome to the No BS Short-Term Rental Podcast, an unfiltered look into the global vacation and short-term rental industry. I'm Matteo Bradford. And I'm John Stokinger. And this is our podcast. We bring the right people to the table at the right time, giving you an inside view and take on the short-term rental industry like no other podcast can. Morning, Matteo. How are you? Morning, John. I'm doing fantastic. How are you? I'm good. Big day here. It's what is it? The first of February. It's uh, new sponsor. Excited about that. Things are shaping up. By the time this actually airs, we'll have hit 5,000 downloads. Wow. 5,000. You think about it. What is it? April is going to be our year. And we we got some plans coming up for our our annual anniversary. Fingers, Fingers crossed it all comes together. What is it? This is season... Season two, episode two. nine, eight, nine. Mm-hmm. I think this is nine. Excited for our guest today. A lot of big things happening this past week. Obviously, it's a huge week, man. We celebrate these wins, man. All right. You know, Hopper flowers. went live. Oh, Hopper went live. Deal. Two million homes. Hopper Homes. Pretty excited about that. But next week, um, we're actually going to have Susan Ho on the show to talk about it. She's a revenue leader. She's the head of Hopper Homes, and we're excited to have her on next week. But let's talk about who we have on this week. I'm really excited. The one, the only. I've had the privilege of interviewing in the past. So if you're listening and you know you were jumped back in on the tracking with John days, he's been on the show before. The one and only founder and CEO of Vintory. Brooke, how are you? Excited to be here, man. Thanks for thanks for having me. I feel uh, man, this is you got I'm an OG, right? I was on the old school days with uh with you, John. Yeah, it was uh that was just when I was getting my chops and trying out some new things for track and seeing what, <laughs> how far they let me push the envelope. And to their credit, they gave me a really long leash. Kudos and shout out to to Travelnet and Track yep. for allowing me to be me and just letting me run with some shit. And it was <laughs> it was pretty awesome. No regrets. And it it gave us the, a springboard to come into 
to do this, which you know, Mateo and I have been talking about doing a long time. Yeah. And holy, yeah. speaking of big, you know, Vintory is our, obviously we just all heard the soundbite here, but you're our, uh, you're sponsoring the podcast. We did. We're sponsoring the pod. Yeah. We're big fans and we're big fans of podcasts in general, at least uh, I am personally, and just love to support the industry and do anything we can to kind of help get the good word out and uh, yeah, happy to do it. So excited. You know what? I, I, there's something I didn't even tell you, John, this is all really coming full circle. When I knew we were having Brooke on, I was just going through some things and it hit me. And I remember I met Brooke the same weekend I met you same time, same place. I met you. Oh, no shit. I, mean, I must have purposely avoided Brooke because I didn't meet him at that time. It must have been. <laughs> was that Gallagher? Yeah. Do you remember up at that little Alpine yeah. summit up there? And yeah. I was there. Veerman, yeah, Veerman tells a little conference they did a couple years back. Yeah. And I was running around chasing, like trying to get after Steve Milo and like going through all these conversations. And I remember Brooke and I had a great conversation. And this is, this is during the live res times. We knew it rented. And yeah. I, I, uh, and so I was thinking, I was like, man, uh, it's great having Brooke. And then I was like, oh shit, that's the same weekend I met John. So all of this coming full circle and you being the first sponsor, man. So I, this is really awesome. So this means a lot to me personally. Thank you for the support of the show, man. But really happy to have you on, man. Really anxious to dig in and get your story. So right. let's go. Let's do it. A real quick, before we dig into the Venturi and Brooke story, I, I do want to give a shout out to, to we just mentioned Vera Mintel. Amy Hynow just put put out this couple days ago that she's back after taking a much needed and deserving break and holy crap she's coming in strong in 2022 four or five regional shows all vrm intels and darm like i'm i'll be at everyone like they are if if you haven't been to a vrm intel if they're coming to your neck of the woods i highly encourage you to go Again, we talk about this a lot, but it's Mateo and I, it's meetings place. We're like an old married couple now. We, where did you meet? That's our cute meet story. But yeah, if you haven't checked out a VRM Intel event in person, I highly recommend it. There's going to be four or five regional ones this year. Yeah, and I love them. I love them just because they're, they're regional and allow sometimes people that wouldn't normally maybe go to a full you know, VRMA international show. It allows some of these people where it's in their backyard to go. Portable, solid information. Yeah. Yeah. The value. I met a couple of people at that Gatlinburg one, uh, Mateo, and they said that was their first conference they've ever been to. And it opened up a whole world to them. So the more it can do and just yeah. get people out there and learn you know, more about the industry and just get better, uh, sharpening the proverbial saw, I think is uh, good for everybody and good for the industry. Let's talk about Brooke. Everyone has their story, how they came into the space. You were Vantage Resort, really president co-founder back in, you know, the earlier 2000s. Is that, was that your first like taste of short-term rental? Like, kind of, how did you get, how yeah. did you get from first Commonwealth funding prior to that to, to there, to where you are today? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And just like you all, and just it seems like everybody in this industry just about, I just happened to, to stumble into it. And I was in, yeah, I was in mortgage banking right out of college, graduated a degree in corporate finance, went into mortgage banking, decided to start my own mortgage banking firm at you know, the ripe age of 25, built that company really fast, thought that was going to be my career. Had, you know, just had a very successful company. We had hundred employees doing 350 million in loans a year, had all the toys. I was like, this is it. All right, we're good. I, I, I got it. And then 2007 happened and uh, completely lost everything. I was in a, in a group called YPO and a young presence organization. 
And a guy that was in my group, he said, Hey, Brooke, at this point, we still had the company. We were doing anything we could to stay alive. I hadn't had a paycheck in a year, kind of thing. Man. And, and, and I was actually doing reverse paychecks, if you know what that is, where I was writing $20,000, $30,000 checks every couple of weeks just to cover payroll. But he was in my YPO group and he said, hey, Brooke, I see I'm reading the same headlines you're reading. The mortgage business isn't looking any better. What are you doing over there? He's, I've had this idea for about five years to start a vacation rental company. I've just been waiting for the right guy to partner up with. Why don't you be my partner in this? He's like, I'll put all the money into it. You'll be my partner. You're president CEO. You get to run this thing. And you get to do this. And I said, this guy's name was Brad. I said, Brad, you, you realize I know nothing about vacation rentals. <laughs> I don't. And, and where we're talking about doing this, Ocean City is about three hours uh, from here. And he goes, Brooke, you're an entrepreneur. You'll figure it out. And I, I took the leap and did it. Every Monday, I would get in my car. I'd drive down to Ocean City. And I'd uh, talk to anybody stupid enough to listen to me, kind of of the vision and the idea of what we wanted to do, a unique, different kind of uh, a vacation rental management company. And Ocean City has one of these things where it's like, how many people have come from across the bridge and try to start businesses here? It'll never work. And I'm like, all right, all I appreciate right. that. But do you know anybody stupid enough to listen to me? And, and you'd recommend, and they're like, oh yeah, we talk to Grace. She probably, she's stupid enough. She'll listen to you, you know. Talk to and Grace, I, she's I pretty stupid. <laughs> yeah. And the funny thing is I couldn't get anybody to meet with me, but I, I um, you know, remember this is like 2007. So I, I said, we didn't have an office of the time. So the only way I can get people to meet up with me is I set up shop at Roos Chris Steakhouse. And I just had to bribe people with, with free food and, and drinks and, and dinner. And, and they were able actually to meet with me They're like, well, hell, maybe at least I'll get a free you know steak out of it kind of thing. So that was my office, the poor manager at Roos Chris, I would just pull up in the park in the corner of the bar in my laptop and just have interviews there. And but anyways, long story short, we got a little bit of momentum, got an office. Maryland is one of those states where you have to get a, a real estate license. So unfortunately, I didn't have real estate experience. So you had to get a real estate broker. So I had to recruit a real estate broker. And then we were able to, to do that. And after it took you know, maybe six months or something like that, till we actually had a, a business, if you will, and a broker. And then we just were off to the races and it started slow. I always tell our partners right now that those first couple of properties are the hardest to get. But once you start getting momentum, it, it builds on itself. And before you know it, we ended up growing this thing pretty quickly. And we grew it from, long story short, we grew it from an idea literally on the back of a legal seafood napkin to 500 properties in, in five years. Wow. That's uh, that's pretty impressive, pretty impressive track record there. And but you didn't stop there. Like you went from there, and then you, you, I see you're in Orlando. Like, yeah, from, so, how does that transition? Yeah, happen? that seems like a so, like a really what what I found is I loved growth. I loved like inventory acquisition. I loved getting the the supply. I realized I wasn't really a good operator. If you think about it, like that kind of growth and with very little systems and processes, we were literally just it was crazy. And ended up, I had the opportunity to, um, well, at this time, again, after living out of a suitcase for five years, it probably needed me to move down there. And I wasn't really willing to move the family down there and things like that. And uh, had the opportunity to, uh, to exit that business, to sell my, my shares in that business, and then become a chief business development officer for a large property manager down in Orlando. But the beauty of that was all I had to do was, you know, just literally build up a sales team and grow inventory. I didn't have to deal. Once we signed the contract, we turned it over to an owner relations manager. So it's just focusing on growth. We expanded into multiple markets. We expanded to Captiva Island, Sun Valley, Idaho. We bought a company in San Diego. So it was really a cool kind of- And were you doing that part remote of my from Maryland? 
So actually I was commuting that way too. The only difference is I wasn't driving. I was flying via Southwest Airlines. So I spent a ton of time on the road doing that, but it was, it was a fun journey and, and really just, again, focused on all things inventory acquisition. That's all I was doing. And that was the part that, again, I really enjoyed and I wasn't like going to work and I was blessed to be pretty, pretty good. It's This is all part of that framework, that quilt you built too, that then you had a, a brief stint at Live Res and then to come to where you were. I remember truly first, and I'd heard about Venturing, but it was actually another VM Intel event where I actually met you like in more in spent, a, had a, we actually had a conversation was right at the beginning of COVID was down at Sandestin. That was like, you had a team and the majority of your team or some of your team all came from LiveRes, if I remember correctly, and please correct me if I'm wrong, you had a no, few. Not, not all. We had, we had a couple of people, but yeah. Okay. Not, yeah. But you, that was like really, at that time, you were really starting to, to you had just come from, you come off of your LiveRes VP of sales and marketing. What made you go, you know what, we're doing this. I'm yeah, going to do yeah. this. I'm building this. I, the funny thing is I've always had in the back of my mind, maybe starting a consulting agency, be almost like the Doug Kennedy of, of inventory supply because I really enjoyed it. And then when I was at LiveRes, that's when I really got into, I was like, man, this whole world of software and SaaS, software as a service. And a transformational uh, moment for me was I read a book called Subscribed uh, by Tian Zhu, probably one of my favorite books ever. I've probably read it five times. And he's like employee number like three at Salesforce. And what he talks about is how everything is moving to a subscription economy. And just, and then again, I just, I, I nerded out on SaaS metrics at LiveRes and I was like, man, this is freaking cool. I love software. It's infinitely scalable and things like that. And just the, the, the recurring revenue uh, business model is beautiful. And Tina, the COO at uh, LiveRes, we, we had these advisory boards. And she said, Brooke, they just need somebody to, they need some life support. Can you do something with this? So I said, sure. I actually implemented some of the things I did at uh, YPO, brought it more to YPO, kind of like mastermind experience. And, and EO is a group entrepreneurs organization I'm in currently and turned it into more of that kind of experience than a true advisory board. And it was transformational. Those groups, even like, gosh, seven, eight years later are still getting together every month. It's amazing. Wow. I feel so proud that, you know, how powerful that was for them. But what I learned in those mastermind groups is the number one pain point that most vacation rental managers have is getting supply, getting right. more inventory. And there wasn't any company out there that was doing this. And I said, man, I'm like, this is something, again, I, I really enjoy. I've been blessed to be pretty good at. There's nobody doing it. Like I'm positioned probably better than anybody out there to do this. Let me go out there and start a company. And, and that was the launch of it. So I called four or five people that I knew in the industry. I said, hey, I gave them the pitch. I said, this is what I'm thinking about. This is what it'll look like. And just give them the vision. And every one of them said, Brooke, shut up. I'll sign up. And I was like, I guess I just started a business. And that's, there you go. that's how it started. And, <laughs> and it was, it was really just when we started, it was really, we were, it kind of was that marketing agency kind of consulting agency type of start because I didn't have anything. It was just me. And I had a contractor in Canada, a graphic designer in Canada. And that was it. That was the company. And next thing you know, we signed up one, we signed up another, we signed up another. And I was like, man, I, it was, we caught that proverbial lightning in a bottle. You could just tell. And then I was like, we got to do something here. And I realized a big part of kind of inventory acquisition comes down to the software solutions. And another kind of transformational moment for me was I read there was an editorial from Mark Andreessen, the founder of Netscape and Andreessen Horowitz. And he wrote an article about 10 years ago. It said software is eating the world. 
And he just talks about how you, you, in the future, you will not have software companies and non-software companies. Every company will be some sort of software company and it's coming to the fruition for sure. So I didn't know how to write one lick of code or anything like that. And, and so I said, you know what, maybe we can just shoehorn and Frankenstein a bunch of like off the shelf type so software solutions. What we did is we just would partner. We became HubSpot certified partners. We brought in, you know, HubSpot for the CRM and that became the backbone of everything. And the beauty of HubSpot is you can plug it into any other products out there right. you know, through APIs and things. So we plugged it into, oh my God, we plugged it into like um, Unbounce and, and call rail, you know, Unbounce for landing pages and call rail for call tracking. And just, we had this suite of a dozen different like software solutions. I'm like, damn, this is a pretty good product. I'm like, that, that works. And we started as like this marketing agency. Then we bolted together and Frankenstein, this software solution. And then we hired a couple of data scientists to help us on the data side. And, and again, we're just, we're growing like crazy. And I said, you know what, even though HubSpot's fantastic, like it still doesn't do everything I wanted to do. So what we were able to do is actually, while we were growing through all the learnings of and iterating through learning from the partner base, we were able to build our own software solution. And, but in a typical SaaS business, you have this cash flow trough in the early days where you're losing a ton of money. That's why most software companies have to raise a ton of capital to get through that cash flow trough. But because we were able to build up the business and we built it as a subscription business, we built it as a SaaS, even though we weren't a SaaS from day one, we were able to self-fund our growth and self-fund the, the development. So fast forward today, we launched our own software platform this past March. We switched everybody from those other solutions onto ours. So we instantly became a profitable software company. And we're a little bit more than that, obviously too, but it's uh, it, look, I don't think it was uh, intelligence or anything like that. It was just dumb luck. And I was freaking broke. I had no other choice <laughs> to do it this way. And that kind of forced us to, to bootstrap and do it this way. But in retrospect, it was the best thing that ever happened to us. You're not the, you know, the bootstrapping this is, is obviously if you can mm -hmm. do it, it's you not tied down to anybody. And I, a great example, and I, I know I, I worked there for two years and track did a great job and, you know, travel that did bootstrap and there's tons of companies that, and then there's others that, you know, are no longer around that, that didn't go the bootstrap method because they didn't have the opportunity to do so. They weren't maybe, it's not that they weren't smart, but they said, Oh, we're going to get this funding and we're going to go ahead and do so. It's a great success story. I, I love hearing it. It forces you to be scrappy yeah. and, and again, do things very efficiently. And if you have, you're sitting on a couple million dollars in cash, you sometimes don't take the easy road or you, you do take the easy road and you, and, and it just, I think having this kind of in our DNA and our culture, the company, I think will help us for, for eternity. That's for sure. And a couple million goes quick. You got a couple million you want to lend me and let me find out personally. I, yeah, sure. I got, <laughs> I got you, you know, I know you're good for it. We hey, just sponsored no you guys. You're sitting on it. All right. I didn't see, I didn't see that contract. Right. Yeah. I, that, <laughs> Wasn't that the platinum sponsor? Yeah. I, I think we're going to have to talk to Will about this. <laughs> oh, he's skimming off what the top of everything. That's right. I'm just, <laughs> what are the things, Brooke, I, I look at you and I look at our journey, at our, the journey I've seen you take, right? In, in the short window that I've known you. You've surprised me in a lot of ways. And I think one of the things is just number one, your leadership and perseverance in, in being able to actually build out something. But there's something else about it, but you're, you're a stud, man. You, I remember talking to you at one point when I was at Rented and you were like, yeah, man, or I think it was you were training for an Ironman or something like that. And what I'm where I'm going with this is I think it speaks to the mindset of that is something that separates athletes from other athletes, the ability to perform at a different level. 
And I, I got to say, when I, you and I have had these conversations, you leave nuggets that are lasting that make people think in different ways. And have definitely made me think of different ways. Cause I remember when you explained inventory to me the first time, I was like, I don't get this. Like, I don't understand how it's going to work. And we didn't go into the details, but I was like, I didn't get this. And then, you know, fast forward a year later, you're killing it. Everyone's loving it and it's the right formula. And those nuggets actually then made sense. Talk to me a bit about how did you, how did these things develop for you? Because when you sit on the outside and you look in, it looks like it was just a smooth process with building that business and building a team and, and making it run. But talk to me a little bit about not the theory, but like the application of making Venturi what it is today and the things that in your past or in your life that really gave you the ability to persevere and, and get to where you are today. Any nuggets you can share about that? Yeah. Yeah. A couple of things. I'll, I'll highlight the, the Ironman. So I did an Ironman. I, I was able to complete a full Ironman back. It's been a while, been a long time, but maybe probably, gosh, close to a decade ago. My, my wife said I was allowed to do one and that was it. So I, I, I trained like crazy because I didn't want to fail. But here's a good nugget though with Ironman. So first off, when I started um, training for an Ironman or triathlons in general, I couldn't swim one lap in a pool. Literally. I could breaststroke it, but like a freestyle, yeah. I had no idea how. And I just... For me, it's all about setting the goal and then making the plan and then executing it. So for me, and I'm a big believer in this thing called Kaizen. It's the Japanese art of like small incremental improvements. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's okay. It's if I were to tell an average person like myself from a decade ago that couldn't swim a lap in a pool, you're going to do an Ironman. Like how the hell do you do that? And it's baby steps. So step one, sign up for a 5k, right? That's it. Just sign up for the 5k. Step two, you research running shoes. Step three, buy running shoes. Step four, just step on the treadmill. Don't even turn it on. Day five, walk for five minutes and just do those little incremental steps. And be, then it doesn't become to seem to be like a daunting task. And then when I then went from races, road races and running to triathlons, it was like, find the shortest freaking swim you could find. And then just do those little stair steps. And before you know it, and again, what Ironman taught me and what triathlons taught me in general was you set the goal. You make the plan, work your ass off. You surround yourself with really good team and people. You can literally execute anything. So here's an overweight kid, overweight guy that doesn't know how to swim in a lap in a pool. And a couple of years later, I'm, I'm finishing an Ironman, albeit pretty slow, but I did finish it. And that's all that matters. And um, that just that's what taught me. So hopefully that's uh, helpful for some people. But as far as like Venturi, there's a lot of nuggets in that Ironman analogy. This It's just jump in, right? Just start it. Just You're never going to be fully ready. The product is never going to be fully baked and developed. Just jump in, you, you roll out something, you test it, you iterate, you get it better, you get it better. And again, what does uh, Reed Hoffman with LinkedIn say, He's or Sam Altman with Y Combinator, is be so, be in, launch so early that you're embarrassed by your first release, right? Launch a product so early that you're embarrassed by, it because the, if you try to de fully develop it and fully bake it, like you, you're going to, you're not going to get a feedback from the customer. And not only are you not going to get your, you're going to get passed up. Like you got to rip that bandaid off. If you have this, yeah. like this amazing idea that if you hadn't started Vintory when you did, you might not have been at the forefront of this. There's lots of people that wish they had jumped in and doing what you did and how you did it when you did it. And it's pretty amazing. 
Yeah, but exactly. And just, so it's just jump in, try something, test it, iterate, get better. It's like, I keep telling the team, get 1% better every day. Just get 1% better every day. To think that we've got over 200 companies on our platform. We've got over 50 employees now. We're killing it. And just to think it's been less than three years. Three years ago, it was me and one contractor, a graphic designer in Canada. You know what I mean? It's just continually just jump in, try it, get better and better every day and just test and iterate. Do you still have that first client? Deal. Yeah. CJ Stam, Blue Ridge. Uh, yeah, Georgia, I was about to say. Nice. Shout out, yeah. shout out to CJ. He took, for a, sure. yeah. he, took, he took a flyer on me and I'm forever grateful for that. And uh, I don't think it would, who knows, maybe it would have launched, but because he had the confidence in me and we did it and got our second partner, uh, Matt Tezdahl, a family time vacation rentals. Out nice. in, uh, he lives in Willamette Valley, but he's out in uh, Southern Utah and just a great yeah, shout guy out to Matt and the big live, live res guy. Well, both actually. That's awesome. I know that those that are listening to podcasts, that they heard, you know, the nugget talking about, you know, some of the, the value prop of Venturi and what is going to get, but someone that's never used Venturi, can you explain it in, in layman's terms? What is Venturi in your words and what, you know, with the investment they're going to do with Venturi, what's the return? Like, what are they going to get out of it? And you get 200 clients in three years. That's amazing and growing. Some of my favorite people in the space swear by you all. They're like, holy shit, we signed up with Venturi and we're getting this much return. Our inventory is doubled. Like what, t- tell us in your words, what this is all yeah. about. Yeah. So I, I guess in layman's terms, you know, Venturi is a sales and marketing platform that helps vacation rental managers grow their inventory. So we don't deal with uh, guests. We don't deal with operations. We don't deal with OTAs. We're focused on one thing and one thing only, and that's to be the best on the planet at supply. And it's three parts to it. It's data, it's it's a marketing agency, and then it's the software solution that pulls it all together. So data is like the foundation of it, right? It's you, We have four data scientists on the team that go out there and really building out a good list, a good target list. Uh, because they say 50% of all marketing just comes down to your list. And then it's the marketing agency. So we're a full marketing agency. We help you build out all their campaigns, whether it's postcards, whether, whether it's email, whether it's digital, whether it's landing pages, whatever it happens to be, we build out all that for you. And then the last part of it uh, is the software and the software solutions. So it's a CRM and marketing automation, which is much, much more than that. That kind of ties this all together in a nice, uh, neat little package. But really the, the premise behind it, if you look at the large venture-backed conglomerates, right, that the business development teams that they have are insane. I think I heard it one, then this is years ago, Vacasa has 177 people in their business development department. They've got all the tools, all the resources, they see the value of inventory. So they're investing in this. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to level the playing field. I wanted to say, look, can we build out a team? Can we build out a product? Can we build out all the team that you would need of a venture-backed company like that, but give it to the average mom and pop shop. So give all those resources to the average CJ Stan, Matt Tezdals, and allow them go head-to-head, toe-to-toe against the big boys and win. And, and that's mm-hmm. what we've done. So we've built this team. I mean, so for literally for the less than the price of a part-time assistant, <laughs> you are getting a biz dev ops team that is honed in, that is the best on the planet at inventory acquisition. And this is all we do for a very, very inexpensive price to help you grow your inventory. Because look, I've been in their shoes. I know how busy you are. You are, as a GM or CEO or or owner of a vacation management company, you are freaking busy, man. You've got a thousand balls in the air. You know what I mean? At any given point, your phone is blowing up from owners, from guests, from whatever it happens to be, regulations, it's like inventory acquisition becomes one of those things. You're like, oh shit, I got to do this. You know what I mean? And I know it's and it's, important, and it's, but it's number, not urgent. 
it's everyone's number one need right now. And it's not oh, just, yeah. it's the big guys and small guys, like everyone's clamoring to get some inventory. And it's been like this for a couple of years and it's not going away. And now you're competing on top of competing with the Vacasas and everything else. You're also competing with these big venture back companies that are coming in and, and buying these, like these multifamily and these different aspects of how to go ahead and get inventory. And they want to get into the SDR space. So now like it's even more important to have a good plan together and, and how to attack this and, and how do we go ahead? And I like to look at companies like yourself as if I was a property manager company, like a, like a company like Ventura being like an extension of my team, you know, and I, and I think that's exactly what you're building. hundred percent. We have multiple tiers. We have anything from just the, if you want just the soft, if you, you know, just want the software, you can get that. And that's our light tier. It's, you know, less than 300 bucks a month. If you want the full outsourced team where you're getting a team of four data scientists, you're getting a team of like multiple graphic designers, multiple copywriters, but you get a dedicated partner success manager that is like a ninja at inventory acquisition. You get that full team. I mean, that, you know, on our enterprise tier, you can do that too. But again, it's still less than the price of a part-time assistant. Right. And, and the ROI, once, once you get one hold, what, add, what, is that, what does that look like? Can you give us some super basic, easy listening to math on like, like what that would look like? Yeah. And I love this topic and very few people have actually gone through the calculations of actually understanding what the value of one property is. Hmm. But when you actually start doing the math of the, the true value of a, of one contract, then you see just how valuable it really is. But we've asked this question over 200 times and the average vacation rental manager makes about 10% margins, net profit margins based on the gross booking revenue. So if you've got a property that's doing 50K in gross booking revenue, you take that times 10%, that's $5,000 a year in profits. Now that's just owner rate, right? That's the net rental rate before taxes and fees and things like that. So five grand a year, but then you don't keep a property in your rental program for one year. You keep it for multiple years. To calculate how long you keep it in your rental program, there's a kind of a formula. You just take what your churn is. Churn is uh, what percentage of your inventory do you lose in a given year? And the average is about 10%. So to come up with your lifetime in years, you just take one divided by 10%. So it comes out to 10 years. So quick summary, the average lifetime in years is 10 years. Your average profit on that property is $5,000. So the average uh, lifetime value is $50,000 for that one property in profits. So right. here's a quick little hack. Assuming you're in industry averages with, with uh, uh, churn and things like that and margins, your lifetime value is equal to the gross booking revenue. So if you have a property that's doing 50K, your lifetime value and net profits is 50,000. If you have a property that's doing 75K, you're going to make 75K over the life of that. So that's pretty significant. I mean, that's huge, right? $50,000 or $75,000 is, is no joke. But then you also get, you know, you're going to get a check if and when you decide to sell your business. The true value, uh, when you sell your company, when you sell your management company, the true value of that of your company, I hate to say it, it's not your guest database, it's not your beautifully wrapped vans and trucks, the, you know, the, the value of those management contracts. Um, right. And those, those values are anywhere between, I've seen them as low as 7,000 and I've seen them all the way up to $100,000, but average, you're looking about 20 to 30K per contract. So if you got 300, you know, 100 properties at 20, 30 K, mm -hmm. so average at 25. And then what, but with that, when you go ahead and purchase, like what's the, uh, pro, when you sell a company and maybe this is like, what's the churn of owner contracts when you transition? 
It, it really depends on, on the company. I mean, some companies we've seen do it and churn very little. I think I've heard, and this is I've been, this has not been validated, but I've heard uh, churn for Vacasa can be as high as 20 to 30% post-acquisition. But with that said, they, I don't know if you saw this, but when they pushed out their investor deck in July, their average uh, price per contract was $21,000 uh, on their corporate development side. 21K. Now, that includes even like the clawbacks and things like they had for properties that churned right. and, uh, over. So they're paying $21,000 a contract. But here's an interesting point. I, I like this stat because I remember you get you you shared this a little bit ago. Keep going with this. So this is pretty yeah. interesting. Yeah. So they paid 21K a, a contract, but they still had a 25% IRR post that. So even though they're paying 20, 21K a contract, they're still making 25% IRR posted. So it just shows how profitable these are. And if you look historically at other companies that have been you know, purchased that are public, and again, we have access to a lot of different things from M&A perspective and things like that. And we know Jim and Jacoby Olin really well too. But if you look at the, the public information that's out there, so when Vacasa bought Wyndham, they paid $18,000 a contract. When I think it's Vitruvian bought Sykes Cottages, they paid $27,000 a contract. Jeez. And the one that like, the one that was really like, just blew everyone's mind was the uh, Vacasa acquisition of turnkey. They paid $103,000 per contract. <laughs> what? Just insane. That's nuts. What about so again, like, value of contract? Every like, one of those contracts is worth money. Yeah. 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 Bottom line, everyone's and, worth and money. You got to think that there's smart people in the back of the room doing that math. So what is the real value of that going to be down the road? If they were willing to spend that much, it's going to be interesting to yeah. see five years from now, you know, well, what, I what think they of, rely on that. That's, that's for sure. I think of like a turnkey that's footprint. It's markets that they weren't in that potential that they can, they are now, Hey, I mean, I know turnkey and Picasso were in a lot of the same markets, but what is that number of markets where they weren't in? If it was worth it for them to go ahead. And it was a huge number of contracts. Obviously it was their biggest acquisition to date. You know, that would be my assumption is, is footprint is on top of inventory is like location too. And they knew they were going to get a left a lift once they went public. You know what I mean? So it was uh, it was very strategic. They, I'm sure they all the bankers did the math on it, and it was still worth it. And it also supposedly Turnkey had a pretty solid tech stack, and that that helped again the whole positioning of trying to get Vacasa to be you know priced at a tech valuation versus a, a property management valuation. I, I want to go ahead and there, there's one other Vacasa stat that you shared in the past, and I, I know we're not talk, here to talk Vacasa, but I, I do want to, there was a, a stat that you shared uh, about when they went public or, or previously where they're public, they were talking about where they need to get as far as how much inventory they need to go ahead and acquire based on where they were today to meet their end of year goals or quota. And I can't remember the exact stat, but it was basically the number of inventories that the amount of inventory they had right now that they've acquired for this whole length of the time that being Vacasa, they almost needed to, to half again, do just that much in, in 2022. Is, is that, am I somewhere around the? And I apologize. I don't have the stats in front of me, but I did put some kind of post out there when I was looking through the Vacasa you know, deck uh, and where they want to be in their growth trajectory. It was the equivalent. I mean, it was something insane, John, but it was something to the effect of like, they needed to do like a Wyndham acquisition, two of those a year or something to hit their their numbers. And a big part of this comes down to too, is if you look at Vacasa's churn. So this was, very few people saw this, but if you looked at the Vacasa's investor deck from last July, they have a 22% churn 
which is only a 4.6 year lifetime. So what we've seen in the average of the partners that we deal with, <laughs> we see a churn about 10% on average in a 10 year lifetime. So if we had a client that had a 22% churn and only a 4.6 year lifetime, we'd be coaching them on how to you know, retain their properties as opposed to growing. But again, it's still the, to them apparently and to the bankers, the math still pencils out. But yeah, I don't know how they're going to achieve the goals they need to do based on their current churn rates. And there's just, there's no more big acquisitions for them to buy for them to hit those numbers. So organically, there's just, uh, that's a heck of a lot of small 300 to 500 property uh, acquisitions to make up for it. I just, I personally don't foresee them uh, being able to do it because the, the numbers that they were going for was just so insane. Maybe they need to hire a company like Venturi. <laughs> we only represent the smaller mom and pop shops. We're here to level the playing field. I think it brings up an interesting topic of so a place I want to go next is I think the one way to get there is it's your talent and it's the people that are going to get you there, right? Having the goal is one thing. You said something earlier, planning, goal planning and execution. And if you think about it within that space, who's doing that? Who do you have on your team? And Picasso's had some amazingly talented people, but leaving them alone and looking over your shoulder for those who are on YouTube and can see, Brooke has something hanging off of his uh, Venturi sign that I really want to dig into because for me personally, I think this is the differentiator in terms of keys to success. It's who's your team and yeah. what is your work culture and what can you give to your clients? And, you know, are you giving them the best in the business? Are you giving them people who are energized and are interested in what they are doing, or are you giving them people that are just in their crunching numbers, there to collect a paycheck, don't care more than just the basic functionality of their job. And that all comes into who are your people? What is your workplace like? And how are they integral to your success? Yeah. No, I mean, building a good team. So my job is actually relatively easy. I, do, I only do two things. And that's the vision, the strategy, and the set, goal setting. And then it's working on the team and the culture. That's it. Literally. I, that's all I do. 90% um, of my day is actually on the phone with recruiting and talking to prospects. I do it first as opposed to going through and getting the first entry level recruiter and things like that. I actually do the recruiting on the front end. And then once I kind of get the, my blessing, then I, I pass it out to my team and I'll let them uh, interview them and see if they want to do it. But yeah, building a good culture was number one goal for me. We, we have a whole series of goals. My number one goal is to, you know, be recognized as a top company to work for. And it's not really the vanity of it. It's really because I don't like squishy goals and building a good culture. How do you like, how do you quantify that? You know, so being recognized, I figured if we were recognized by some kind of third party organization as a top company to work for, then obviously we hit that goal. But really it starts with a couple of different things. And the first is getting the right people on the bus. I use a Jim Collins analogy, getting the right people on the bus and then getting them in the right seats. And it's like, how do you do that? If you get people that are doing what they're naturally meant to do, it makes it so much easier. We're big fans of psychometric personality assessments. So we use uh, big fans of culture index and predictive index, just making sure that people you hire are meant to do what they're meant to do. And if you do, that's half the battle, right? I mean, it's stacking. I was just talking to a guy last night. It's like it's stacking the deck in your favor. You still have to interview them. You still have to like see their intelligence, their moral compass and all and drive and all these other things. But if you have a good idea of who they are and, and for the, the position that you're looking for, that's uh, that's half the battle. But really building that culture um, of trust and respect has been pretty important for us. We've done an incredible job of it. I've been so blessed. We've got a 82 on our net promoter scores for our team members, which if you know anything about net promoter score, that's insane. Yeah. Um, just NPS. Super high yep. NPS. 
Yeah, I give you a baseline. The, the average of uh, Ritz-Carlton, I call it the NAR index. Uh, Nordstrom's Apple and Ritz-Carlton is only like a 68 or a 69. So if we're at an 82 on Net Promoter Score, it just gives you an idea of uh, the culture we've built. And if you go to our Glassdoor reviews, these are 100% authentic, legit reviews. We've got five out of five stars. And the, the things I read on there, literally it's uh, whenever I'm down and out, I kind of just go to that website and go read some of those reviews and just... It really there's not a lot of money. A lot, there's not a lot of companies that can go to Glassdoor and, and like and boost their yeah, spirits. Yeah, <laughs> I, I encourage. I, every time I interview somebody, I say, "Look, do me a favor. Don't believe me. Go to our Glassdoor reviews. These are legit, authentic, mm-hmm. and read what the team has to say. And usually, if we do that, we get them if we want them. We're 100 remote. People like obviously the and we and but we built that culture from the beginning where we've yeah. been remote. And not only that, we just I think. There's another thing that we do is we have a really good business operating system. So we run EOS, uh, Entrepreneurial Operating System, and a combination of that with culture index and, and predictive index and um, and just giving people the latitude they need. We don't me- we always say we don't measure uh, hours work, we measure outcomes. And giving them the flexibility, it's like, look, if you need to go take your kid to the doctor two o'clock in the afternoon, do it, right? If you need right. to, you know, go for a run in the afternoon, I don't care. You know what I mean? Like I, I wake up between four and five every day, but I'll go for a run in the middle of the day. You know what I mean? To just get out. And that's fine. And I'm um, cutting out today at uh yeah. at- three o'clock so I can take the kids ice skating. Like I put it, blocked it out. It's important. It's a big reason why I'm, you know, where I am today as well. It's super important. And it seems like this is what's going to have to happen in the future. Cause you look at the state of kind of employment in our industry, but even broadly, right. In the greater economy with what workers are willing to accept. I I think it's going to be fascinating over the next, you know, couple of years to see how we, how work changes. For people where it's, it's coming. Yeah. I've listened, like we talked about before, I've listened to tons of podcasts and really smart people. We're going back to that kind of, we're going to like a gig economy where everybody yeah. will almost be. And if you, the funny thing is, if you look historically and go back like hundreds of years, like the premise of going to a big office and in a city and working nine to five, and you did that for your career, that was only for a short period of time. And we right. we were a country of entrepreneurs. You had yeah, the, the blacksmith and the, the bar owner and things like that. I think you were going to end up evolving, you know, to that where it's going to be a bunch of, and especially, look, COVID, we all know this, COVID just accelerated certain trends that were happening anyways. It just leapfrogged it by a decade at least. But it's interesting because I think, and this is my personal opinion, but I think also the the emergence of AI and how that's going to completely change, especially corporate work and the ability to do to not have to have certain jobs within companies anymore because of technology, AI, and these other things is going to completely transform the way that, forget corporations, but what is that going to spur people to do? Because it's going to create new industries. It's going to create new companies, maybe at a smaller scale. I think we're going to see less massive corporations that, you know, have thousands and thousands of people working for them. And I think we'll see lots of smaller companies, but you know, it, it doesn't mean they're going to do it right. And I don't want, and I think you, you said something earlier. It's like, oh, this is all I do. This is incredibly challenging. Building culture in a company is incredibly challenging. Building a remote company, a, a culture at a company is super challenging. There's no playbook. Right. And so I think being able to put that feather in your cap and, continue to do that is, is going to be, you know, something great to watch. I wish you great success with that, but I appreciate that. It, it, yeah. And it yeah, was easier. It was, I appreciate that, Mateo. And it was easier because we started from day one remote. And one of the reasons I actually like it is we can buy, we can hire the best talent regardless of where they live. You know right. what I mean? 
If I, I live outside of Baltimore, if I had to hire just people that had vacation experience outside of Baltimore, there's probably three people out there I could right. get. <laughs> now, my literally, my team is all over the U.S. I've got Canadian employees. I've got Filipinos. I've got one guy in Doha, Cutter. We've got a, an international team, and I'm I'm hiring the best wow. talent regardless where they live. It's yeah, it works works well for me. I want to go ahead and I know we're getting to time here, and I want to make sure that we get the right allocations to the property managers out there to go ahead and, and reach out to you. Please go to vintory.com forward slash no BS. If you're interested in, in add, adding inventory, I know this isn't a tips and tricks, but we want to go ahead and, and make sure that you're reaching out to, to them on what's going to, what you're going to get for um, connecting with Venturi and Brooke and the team there is you're going to get a free home over marketing list up to 500 records. You're gonna get a free homeowner landing page. You're gonna try Venturi software, software risk-free for 60 days and they're throwing in a $50 gift card to one person on the company for booking a demo with them. This is no joke. If you're looking at going ahead and be like, shoot, I, I could just use five more properties, one more property. Like I really need to get yeah. from 15 yeah. to 20. I need to get from 500 to whatever the number is where if you're trying to grow, it doesn't hurt to reach out. But again, Venturi.com forward slash no BS. There'll be a link on our page. We're super stoked to have Brooke on today. Yeah. And we're absolutely like, like, we love partnering with Venturi. Yeah. And on the other side of that too, I don't want to negate that. You're hiring, Brooke. This is oh people yeah. out. We have listeners that may be a good fit for what you got going on too. So definitely want to give you the opportunity to let our listeners know what you're looking for and if it's something they're interested in and how, to, how best to get a hold of you. Yeah, no, we got multiple roles we're hiring for right now. We're in like in that hyper growth uh, mode. Uh, yeah, if you just go to inventory.com and then go to our careers page, you can see the different uh, positions we're, we're hiring for. But uh, yeah, culture is number one. Unlimited PTO, matching 401k, stock, uh, phantom equity. Uh, we'll actually pay for two weeks of travel for you per year and a whole bunch of other things. Free gym membership. We got really good benefits. So yeah, if anybody's looking to come work uh, remote and uh, reach out to me and or email me at Brooke with the E, B-R-O-K-E at inventory.com. Awesome. Anything else you'd like to leave our, our listeners today, Brooke? Yeah, no, just I look, I our mission from the beginning has been to help every single vacation rental manager grow their inventory, whether they're inventory partner or not. So uh, we've got a whole slew of content, video, pushed out tons of videos, pushed out tons of blogs just on how to do it yourself. We're actually building out an entire uh, training course free of charge on the Venturi website that'll be coming here probably in Q2. But again, we just, we want to help elevate the entire industry and, and really appreciate partnering up with, with guys like you at the, the No BS podcast. Thanks, man. We appreciate you and we appreciate Venturi and, and thanks for joining. Let's get you back on um, in a little bit and let's see where things are going. I'd love to get you on towards the end of the year and, you know, and talk about your growth and talk about what we're looking at in the future as well. 